0: It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening, if you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew and chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 18 verses. It says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of the king the Herod the king, I was trying to say the king Herod, Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, He demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou of Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came, stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. It was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, "'Out of Egypt have I called my son.' "'Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, "'was exceeding wroth, sent forth, "'and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem "'and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, "'according to the time which he had diligently inquired "'of the wise men. "'Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, "'saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, "'lamentation and weeping and great mourning, "'Rachel weeping for her children,' and would not be comforted, because they are not. So the title of the message tonight is, Responses or Reactions to the Son of God. Responses or Reactions to the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to assemble together, to encourage and strengthen one another, and fellowship together in this middle of the week. We pray that you would help us uh, as we examine the scriptures tonight, and consider these things. And Look at our world and the responses and reactions that we get even to witnessing of the gospel. We Help us to realize that this is not new, uh, but uh, um, help us not to be surprised or taken back, but to uh, be faithful and continue to give out the gospel regardless of what response we get. So we pray, Father, that you just encourage our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, quote, a stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He has not spoken a word. He has not wrought a miracle. He has not proclaimed a single doctrine. But when Jesus is born at the very first, while as yet ye hear nothing but infant cries and can see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence upon the world is manifest." Unquote. You know, you had... You have vastly different receptions from people living in the same countries, in the same towns, to the birth of Christ. And these, really, what they do is they illustrate the infinite power, even of the or the power, the infinite power, not infant power, the infinite power of the infant Savior to get such a reaction or such responses. You know these same responses and reactions are seen today when people are confronted with the Son of God. Basically, the same thing. You know, you know, or, or, you know they're coming face to face with the Son of God. You know, it brings ones to a cross uh, to a crossroads in life where one must make a choice. When you're at that crossroads, when you're confronted with with the truth of the gospel. So tonight I want to look at some responses. To the birth of Christ, and then some reactions, and 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 we'll see this now. As we think about this, the, there's a difference between a response and a reaction. The word "response," by according to Dictionary.com, is defined as an answer or reply in word or action. You know, a response is the way a person handles a situation, and it's not being dictated to by. But it's determined by the person's own character within. So, in other words, it's, you know, the response is something that what you do to me doesn't determine my response. But that is a reaction. That's a reaction. But a response is determined by the person itself, no matter what's done to them. Let me, for, for example, in 1 Peter 2 21 to 23, the Bible says, even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God, found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. See, Jesus' actions were never, you know, he's, of course, the perfect God-man. His actions were never controlled by what somebody else did to him or said to him. He always respond. You know, he always responded with a right action, no matter what was done to him. And that's really what a response is. It's a response is an act that out of of a right act or response, or, or action or word uh, to something that's done to you, and and it really is it is not determined by what is done or said to you. You know, you could you could respond. Totally different than what somebody does to you. You know, somebody could slap you in the face, and instead of slapping them in the face, you could shake their hand. No, the reaction was you'd slap them back. I remember there was a, a missionary that we knew, and uh, he was a he was in Czech Republic. He was a army major. I don't know. He was he was uh, you know. A walking machine, but anyway, and he, could, he was really smart. He could speak six languages, I think. But anyway, he, uh, the Czech, in the Czech Republic that time, of course, Americans weren't were not liked, and so um, he would—he got on a bus or a train, and and he'd often been on this bus or train, passing out tracks, and and some guy just smacked him, and he said you don't know how bad I wanted to clean his clock. But he said, instead, I handed him a gospel track. And he said, the guy was taken aback. He took the gospel track, sat down in the seat, and started reading it. See, that's a response. That's not a reaction. So as we think about that tonight, let's look at some responses to the birth of Christ. And, of course, the first one that we have recorded for us in the Bible is in Luke chapter 2. In his of the shepherds, and verses eight through twenty, and I can read all this for sake of time, but you know, the, it, the of course they're keeping watch of the flock. Verse nine says, "Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them; the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid." And the angel said to them, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And tells them that the Christ is born in the city of David." And then, of course, they you know they go away. And verse 15 says, And it came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And And verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So they received the news of the birth of Christ and of course they responded by going to see him and telling others about him. But consider first they were afraid when they were first approached about it. And this fear could have continued. You know, they could have had a fear okay, what do the leaders in Israel would say if we do? This is this is Christ the Lord. This is the prophesied Messiah. Uh, and, and what would our leaders think of this? Would they be in favor or disfavor? Will this be a, this, a, a, a good a circumstance for us to get involved in? What's this going to do to our reputations? You know, many people fear that when they're confronted with the gospel. They're afraid of what other people might say. But the shepherds responded and went and then they made told. They they praised God and and they told uh and they known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. The second one we see in our text that we read, and that is of the wise men. Now, you know, we don't we don't know for certain uh, the certain origin of these wise men. Some people say probably from Babylon. Others say Persia. It was is probably from one of those two places. You know, the children of Israel were carried away and ended up in both places. Uh, Daniel served in Babylon under Babylonian kings and Persian kings, and. And I believe Daniel is a very important part of this story because it's likely that these men had access to Daniel's writings from which they had information about the birth of Christ. But anyway, they, they were, these were likely astrologers. The word wise men uh, uh, is defined as astrologers, the men who studied the stars. And they had seen this star, this rise of the star announcing the birth of Christ, the king of the Jews know, uh, Numbers 24, 17, in his prophecy, Balaam said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And that word star there is capitalized in the Bible. So it's not talking about one of those things that shines in the sky. It's talking about something different. A star shall come out of Jacob. Uh, and so they were men of learning, uh, probably had an, an influence you know, probably had some authority, likely counselors of kings, and 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 also it's kind of evident by their by the fact that they traveled this far at this expense, and the gifts they brought, they were of some means or wealth. So these were not your ordinary people; uh, they were men of influence and learning and and places of authority. It's likely that they had the prophecies of Daniel and maybe Jeremiah and and some of the other prophets which foretold of the rising of the king. Uh, Daniel 9 speaks about when the prince shall come. So they'd had a date sometime when to look for him. Uh, But even the world at that time, there was two Roman historians, uh, Suetonius, I'm not sure how how you pronounce his, his name, but he wrote, quote, there had spread all over the Orient an old-fashioned belief that it was fated at the time for men coming from Judah to rule the world, Unquote. And Tacitus also, he wrote, quote, many were persuaded that it was contained in the ancient books of the priests that at that very time the East should prevail and that someone should proceed from Judea and possess the dominion, Unquote. So, you know, those books of the priests, he could have been referring to the books of the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, prophesied concerning the coming of the king of Israel. And again, Daniel 9 tells really about the time, The time, if you, you study the, the mathematics there, the time around when the Messiah or the prince, as he's called, would come. So they could have reacted, you know, these being wise men, men of authority, uh, men of wealth, They could have reacted to the birth of Christ as a threat to their authority. But they responded to the truth. And made known, that was made known to them in a right way. We notice that when it comes, in in verse uh, uh, 11, it says, When they were come into the house, this was not at the manger, So they come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. They worshiped him. They worshiped him, and it says, when they'd opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they worshiped him, they they adored him as, as God. And and then they brought these gifts, and these gifts are significant, very significant. You know, gold speaks of royalty. Kings collect gold, and it, and it speaks of royalty. And, of course, you know, they, they had an a, a understanding that a king should come. Daniel nine twenty five talks about the Messiah, the prince, would come. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, they may have had access to these scriptures and they understood that it was going to be somebody out of the lineage of David. And David's town is Bethlehem. But of course, they had to go to the book of uh, Micah, Micah, to find that scripture. They probably didn't have Micah, so they came to the likely place, the religious center in Israel, to look for him, Jerusalem. We didn't find him there. But they recognized him as a king. They brought gold. They also brought frankincense. Now, frankincense is an is an incense. That was used only by the high priests in Israel. It was forbidden to be, and there was a, there was a, there was a. Um, I hate to use the word potion, since you know, uh, but it, there was a, the, a recipe for this incense that that the priests used, and all others the, 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 were forbidden to make it. Only the priests were allowed to make it in Israel, because it was to be used only in the work of the priests. And so it was, and it was the base for this incense. And so it was, it was used in a priestly function. And the message that they're giving to us here is they recognize Jesus as their high priest. Their mediator between God and man. The one who would intercede for us. They also brought myrrh. And myrrh is a burial ointment used to embalm the dead. See, they also recognized that the sa- he was the Savior who would die for the sins of the world. Though they were kings, or though they were kingly, they were men of renown and authority and wisdom, yet they humbled themselves before this infant, the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognized him, and accepted him as the sovereign, sinless son of God who would die as the savior of the world. They humbled themselves and bowed before the newborn king. And so they responded to the truth and accepted it. But We see a third, and and I put these two together, and this is in Luke chapter 2. And this is Simeon and Anna who were... Older saints living in Jerusalem, and, uh, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law... Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For in mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and eight and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now think about these two old saints. Though they dwelt in Jerusalem at the temple where the scribes and Pharisees were, yet unlike those around them, they sought the truth. They looked for the Messiah. They were willing to accept Him. They held to the simplicities of the truth of God's Word without putting their own spin on it to make it beneficial to themselves. You know, you think about it, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees had done to the truth. They put their own spin on it to make it beneficial to themselves, and I'll bring that out a little more, more later, but that's what they did. You know, there's a lot of people do with religion. They put their own spin on it to benefit themselves. They're self-serving. You know, Paul spoke with Timothy, I said, he said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You're not going to care for himself. He's going to care for your state. And these were the kind of people that Simeon and Annan were. They held to the simplicity. They weren't interested in class or power or influence, but the grace and blessing of God received by humble hearts. And, of course, Simeon prophesied that this child would, would, would be uh, for the, the, the rising and falling of many in Israel. Uh, he would cause many to fall from their self-elevated perches. You might say, and so these are some responses that we see uh, to the to the the birth of Christ. And I want to look at some reactions, some reactions. Now, a reaction is defined by Dictionary.com as a reverse movement or tendency. It's an action in a reverse direction or ma- manner. You know, the best way to illustrate, I think, would be like in medicine. If they said you got a reaction, in other words your body would react in reverse to what it was supposed to do, what was expected of it to do. Uh, so it's, it's, it's building resistance to another action. That's what it is. So, so, you know, when we speak of reaction, it's really an action that directly brought by the action before us. You know, if you say something nasty to me, well, I'm going to say something nasty in return. That's a reaction. In other words, you're being controlled by what the other person did. I think it was uh, Francis Havergal who said, "He that angers you controls you. You, know, you react to somebody else's anger; they're they're really controlling you." I was watching a watch the a You" uh, video today about responsibility, and he and this is a, uh, I think his name is Zugby. Zuby or Zugby. I can't remember his last name. He's a black man. Anyway, he was talking about how responsibility is freedom. Self-responsibility is freedom. Because then you're not, you're not making yourself, you're not binding yourself and, and having somebody else have to take care of you. You're responsible for yourself. That's, that's freedom. I'm free from, from, the, from being the clutches of someone else because I'm self-responsible, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, really that's the same idea as what Francis Hebergale say said. So, so, as we think about re- reactions, the first one I want to notice is the scribes and the priests, the chief priests look at look at Matthew chapter two again, verse four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written of the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Now, I never really thought about this before. But you don't hear anything else from the scribes and Pharisees about Christ being born until Jesus comes on the scene And starts preaching. Now we're talking almost 30 years. Now what's so strange about this is these are the people that are supposedly studying the scriptures in the land of Israel. These are the supposed theologians of the Bible in that day. The people that are supposed to know the scriptures, are supposed to know when the Messiah is coming, are supposed to know where he is born, and of whom he is born. But when Herod demands of them, where, well, they said they had the right place. But there's no indication that they didn't did any searching to find out if what the wise men were saying was true. Which, my opinion is, they didn't. My opinion is, they weren't interested. And I'll tell you why. You know, it's rather puzzling, isn't it? Again, they had their own agenda. They had a good religious racket going on in the temple, whereby they were enriching themselves. You remember that Jesus cleansed the temple two times during his earthly ministry. In three and a half years, he cleansed it twice. And he said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. In other words, you've made my father's house a place where you guys are making money. Enriching yourselves. I mean, they had a good racket going. They didn't want it, they didn't want it messed with. They didn't want the Messiah. They didn't want the King of Israel coming on the scene and messing with their racket. Exposing them and disrupting it. They wanted to keep peace that they had in their servitude with Rome. After all, they were doing okay. Devouring widows' houses, Jesus said of them. So they were gaining property and land by supposedly taking care of the widows, which somehow they always ended up with the property. You see... And this is this is how many times people react to the commands of the gospel now because they want to remain in control of their lives. They want to remain in control of the racket they have going. They don't want to surrender their life. They want, to, they want to keep their circle of friends. They want to keep their sins. They want to keep their lifestyle. And they want to continue it and are willing to repent of those things. So when pressed or confronted with their sin, they react with accusations like the Pharisees did. Oh, you... have you're of illegitimate birth. You remember in John 8, 41, they said, we be not born of fornication. Or they accused him of being friends with publicans and sinners. Uh, in Matthew nine eleven, it says when the Pharisees saw it, no, he was eating, you know, Matthew had made a great supper and, and invited all his friends and Jesus was sitting down and eating with them. And they said, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why eat your master with publicans and sinners? Yes, it'd be an awful thing to eat a meal with a sinner, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, he told them, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or they accused him of being egotistical and thinking that, and even blaspheming, that he was always right. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified to send in the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So they were accused him of saying things, of really, you know, sort of like they might accuse you and I of being, you know, overconfident in what we believe. Do you ever have somebody say to you, would you just think you're always right? You know, if you have the truth, you can be confident about it. I mean, the truth doesn't change whether it's you or anybody else. God's no respecter of persons. And so they were accusing him of saying things that were not true of himself, of boasting, Of being egotistical. But it was the truth. So these are the reactions they got. So, yeah. Did the Pharisees want to know? The scribes and the Pharisees? I don't think they did. They didn't want to know. And of course then, Herod, the king, Verses 7 and 8 Then Herod, when he was privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search diligently for young child, and when you find him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And of course, you know, uh, verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coasts there are from two years old, and none according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. So here you have a very proud and haughty king who was paranoid of any threat. One commentator said this of Herod, "Quote, he was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, of course that it means to Rome, an excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine and relief was superb, his building projects including the temple were admired even by his foes, he loved power, inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people, Excuse me. and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a, research, a usurper. He was an Edomite. In his last years, suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed close associates. Unquote. And From what I understand and have read, I believe he killed even his own kin. Augustus, the Roman emperor, said, quote, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, unquote. So consider the kind of man that Herod was. He was very suspicious of any threat to his authority. Any threat to claims of kingship would be ruthlessly destroyed or attempted to be destroyed by him. You know, like many today, they will not accept the claims of Christ on their life. They have the idea that he has no right to command them. They are righteous in their own eyes and justified in their own actions and will not and are suspicious of anyone's claims to be sovereign lord or king. And so, you know, Herod, instead of responding, he reacted and had all the children, up to two years old, killed in Bethlehem. You know, these responses and these reactions are still prevalent in our world today. They just have different names and faces. Many see belief in Christ as a threat to their existence. Some in the world of science think religion is a threat they believe religion is a threat of course communism to them religion is a threat and of course false religion is the number one threat to, to, to true christianity it's number one enemy as we see it in the scriptures it was the number one enemy you know why you know, why are, they, why, are they so, why are people so opposed? See, just as Christ exposed the racket of false religion of the scribes and Pharisees, you know, His truth exposes false science, it, expo- it exposes faulty governments and authorities, and it exposes vain living that drowns men in destruction and perdition. You know the truth does a lot of exposing it exposes a lot of things. I remember i I heard a, a george Grant George Grant was at one time a professional wrestler with long, flowing blonde hair. They called him gorgeous George anyway, at some point in his life, he got saved. he became an evangelist and he was in Maine, I think, twice when we lived up there. And so I heard him a couple of times preach. Uh, they called him the wild man. But anyway, uh, I remember him saying one time when he was a little boy in Texas, the, he said the only light we had, we had, one, uh, we had a small house, and the only light we had was in the middle of the living room. And the switch was on the bulb hanging from the ceiling. And he said, I like to go in there. We'd come home maybe after dark, and I'd grab a hold of my daddy's pant leg and, and I'd go with him, walk into in the little of that living room to turn the light on and, and then watch the rats run. He said, Now I'm turning the light on them, and you watch the rats run. See, the truth exposes what is false. And when Jesus came into the world, just his birth began to expose people for who they really were. Some of them responded and accepted the truth. Others reacted and sought to destroy it. Notice I said, sought to destroy it. And they've been seeking to destroy it ever since. But I'm reminded of the words that Gamaliel said to the Pharisees when they were threatening the disciples in the book of Acts. He he warned them, he said, Look, you need to be careful what you do to these men. For if this thing be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. You know, man's going to fight against God. Men are going to fight against God, but they cannot overthrow it. They're going to fight against his churches. Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And so though we may get reactions from people, we must not react. We must respond and continue to give them a truth and expose every false way. Some will accept it, many will not. But we must pray for and continue to offer the truth that people may have the opportunity to respond. You know, sometimes it's those who react the most violently that later on come to the truth and accept it. Saul of Tarsus was one of those. And so we must continue to give the truth so that they have opportunity to come to the truth and have assurance of eternal life through Christ. Responses or reactions. You'll get both in this world as you witness the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us they were offended at me, they'll be offended at you. But well, we must continue to give out the gospel and respond to them with the truth that they might have opportunity to hear.